the Sports Town Podcast. No drama, no politics, and no arguing. Just two guys talking sports. I'm your host, JJ Peters, and today's episode will discuss World Series Game 2, Pelicans hire Stan Van Gundy, Thursday night football highlights, the NBA draft is going virtual, and much more. As always, don't forget to subscribe, comment, rate, and like. And of course, as you guys all know, we release new episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and YouTube every Wednesday and Friday. Let's start with our first topic of the day, and we're talking about the NBA draft is going virtual. The NBA season has been finished for about a week and a half now. The league has finally announced that they will do a virtual draft on November 18th. ESPN will host the event, and Commissioner Adam Silver will announce the picks in his studio. After every player gets drafted, they'll be interviewed through some type of face cam and will have a similar feel to how the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA did their drafts. The Minnesota Timberwolves still hold the number one pick, followed by the Golden State Warriors, Charlotte Hornets, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Chicago Bulls. The top prospects in the 2020 NBA draft are Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, and James Weissman. However, there have been multiple reports that both the Timberwolves and Warriors are looking to trade their pick. We will find out in the next month what they do. My thoughts, I'm not really surprised at all with the decision the league has made. With the way the year has happened in almost every other league that held their own draft was virtual, with it being virtual, there probably won't be too many trades. I think both the Timberwolves and Warriors, if they do trade their pick, it'll be before the draft, not during. And I think a lot of people are just happy the NBA is actually having a draft instead of just skipping it this year. Now, I thought it was interesting and somewhat odd that they had scheduled it in October 15th and ended up moving it a month later when normally after a few days after the NBA finals are over, they have the draft. So it would have kind of been normal, but they decided to move it back. Um, Another interesting note is the first time since 1975, the league is having the draft outside their typical June slot. It will be a little disappointing for the players who get drafted instead of going to New York and celebrate with their families being drafted they have to stay home and watch the draft virtually. However, I think players will still be happy getting their or getting selected in the 2020 NBA draft and getting started with their careers. My next my next question is who goes number 1? I think right now it would be Anthony Edwards. Uh, the Timberwolves don't need a guard because they have D'Angelo Russell. Now I'm hearing a lot about LaMelo going to Minnesota, but LaMelo wants to play the 1, not the 2. There is a good chance that Minnesota does trade their pick for more proven assets. James Weissman from Memphis would be a solid player, but again, Minnesota doesn't need another big man. So to sum it all up, if Minnesota doesn't trade their pick, it's going to be Anthony Edwards from Georgia. However, don't sleep on Obi Toppin from Dayton. He is the college basketball player of the year, and there's a good chance he could be a wild card for the number one pick. Do the Timberwolves and Warriors trade their picks, and if they do, with who? In my opinion, I don't think Minnesota or Golden Tate trades their selection. I do think that the Timberwolves and Warriors make their selection immediately trade their, the player they just drafted. There could be teams looking for the number one pick that includes the struggling New York Knicks. Uh, the New York Knicks have been flirting with almost any type of free agent and player that could move teams in the offseason. Guys like Russell Westbrook, Joel Embiid. Uh, Some other teams to look could be the Atlanta Hawks, the Washington Wizards, and maybe the Pelicans. However, those are just door courses to make a move up to select the number one. There's a lot of things that could change in the next month. It would be very entertaining. It's going to be a very entertaining offseason, to say the least. And before we change the subject, I'd like to mention the Toronto Raptors could be playing at the Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. 
it was the home of the University of Louisville basketball team, as we all know, because of the restrictions or because the COVID restrictions are so strict in Canada. It's been reported the Raptors are looking for a lot of places and the Yum Center seems like a pretty good destination. However, it's most likely um, going to be, well, not most likely, but the Raptors are seriously considering other venues like sharing, um, basically sharing an arena with some team that could happen, but we'll all see, we'll see what happens. It's, we got a few months, so a lot could happen in the next few months. Um, Bubba Wallace to drive the number 23 car for MJ's team next season. Uh, as we all know, Bubba Wallace used to drive with RPM and drives the number 43 car. Is officially announced that he will drive the number 23 for Team 23X1 Racing. 23X1 Racing is a new NASCAR team that is owned by the code himself, Michael Jordan, and Denny Hamlin of the number 11 FedEx car. According to multiple sources, the team will likely drive Toyota and Danny, as Denny Hamlin drove a Toyota last year. Currently, Team 23X1 Racing is working with the Team JGR, which is Joe Gibbs Racing, to form an alliance. Last week, co-owner Michael Jordan told the Charlotte Observer that if Bubba Wallace wanted to drive the number 23 car, he could, and if not, that would be fine as well. Jordan also told the Observer that he wants Bubba Wallace to have his own identity in NASCAR. Kurt Busch of the number one monster car told CBS Sports that he believes Bubba Wallace will win a second year for Team 23X1 Racing. He also said it's going to be very tough for them to win in the first year, but as the Furniture Row guys proved that they can be successful as an independent team. My thoughts are this is big for NASCAR, and as MJ is the most popular athlete in the world of all time, and now he has a team. He is also paired up with one of the best drivers in NASCAR, Denny Hamlin. He also has a very popular name paired with the team in Bubba Wallace. Wallace, again, as I said, or as I previously mentioned, drove for Richard Petty Motorsports last year and had the most iconic car in number 43. It'll be very interesting to see how Bubba Wallace and Denny Hamlin do their first year with Team 23 X1 Racing. How successful will Team 23 X1 Racing be? Uh, I agree with Kyle Busch. I think Team 23 X1 Racing will struggle a little bit in the first year. However, with how good a year Denny Hamlin has been having, I still think he has another great year. I expect Bubba Wallace to do about the same as he did last year, but he will improve significantly after 2021. You also have to look at their team alliance and team JGR. Joe Gibbs is one of the best racing teams in NASCAR, and I think that will help Team 23X1 Racing in their first year. It will. It's also going to be very interesting to see how aggressive they are in their first season in NASCAR. I expect them to be very competitive in all the races in the 2021 Cup season. I can't wait to see what the team does at Daytona in February. Does Bubba Wallace get a win next season? I do believe so. I think he, or I don't believe so, actually, I should say. I think he's still a year away from competing for a cup and getting his first win. I could see Wallace getting his own car, or getting his own win, excuse me, in the cup series in 2021, and probably will get a few top tens next season. You also have to, you also have to look in Denny Hamlin is his teammate, and I think that will help him drastically. Wallace improved last season and has many sponsors for next season. Having a lot of sponsors goes a long way in NASCAR. I predict team, team 23X1 Racing will be very competitive in two years. It'll be very entertaining to see who Team 23X1 Racing brings into pair with Denny Hamlin and Bubba Wallace. Uh, let's go to basketball once again, and the Pelicans have officially hired Stan Van Gundy as their coach. The New Orleans Pelicans have found a replacement for Alvin Gentry, who they fired in August. 
New Orleans has hired former Heat, Magic, and Pistons coach Stan Van Gundy. Previously, Van Gundy has been an NBA analyst for TNT the last few years. According to multiple reports, Van Gundy interviewed for a few coaching vacancies during the last few months. But Van Gundy liked the Pelicans roster the most. Van Gundy even spoke highly of both Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, the two the team's two stars. He also liked the direction and the Pelicans were going with the president of basketball operations and David Griffin. During the last few months, the former Heat, Magic, and Pistons head coach expressed that New Orleans was going to be very successful in a few years. Van Gundy led the Orlando Magic to the NBA Finals in 2009, but were defeated by Kobe Bryant and the LA Lakers in five games. My thoughts are most of the coaches that have been hired in the offseason have been, I have been stunned by that include the New Orleans hire. The only one that I wasn't stunned by is the Clippers hiring Ty Lue. I don't believe Stan Van Gundy, or I didn't believe Stan Van Gundy would return to coaching in the NBA. I really didn't. But obviously, as you can see, I was way wrong. Van Gundy did all right in Orlando and Miami, but struggled going into Detroit. You can probably assume that most every coach that includes Van Gundy struggled coaching the Pistons the last 20 years. I think the reason why Van Gundy struggled in Detroit was because he was both a coach and president of basketball operations that included the head of all major moves by the team. Van Gundy will definitely have a roster with major upsides. Dan Van Gundy will have no excuse going into the 2021 season and beyond. How well does Stan Van Gundy do as head coach for the Pelicans? I think he has success, but not right away. New Orleans is still a few years away from being a contender in a very tough, tough Western Conference. Uh, New Orleans have had a talented roster led by Brandon Ingram and the former number one overall pick and college basketball player of the year is Zion Williamson. They have a few veterans on the team with Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick. You can even throw in Derek Favors. However, they still have a lot of questions to ask the roster as well. Is Brandon Ingram going to resign with the Pelicans? Can Lonzo improve? Should they add a big man in free agency? And most importantly, Zion Williamson's health. And you also have to figure out if the Pelicans can succeed with such a young roster. In the bubble, the Pelicans had the easy schedule but weren't even close to making the playoffs and struggled mightily at Disney. But I do believe Van Gundy will have a time will have time to figure out how to have success with New Orleans. Uh, my predictions for New Orleans next season is I think they go 36 and 44 in 2021 if they play all 82 games, which again is still unknown. Zaya Williamson is going to be a star, but how long can you last in the league with his health concerns? Brandon Ingram needs to be better on defense. Lonzo needs to improve his shooting and confidence in his shot and just all around his game. And I think they need a big man to replace Derek Favors. New Orleans has struggled in the last few years and has only one playoff series in the last decade. Think about that. One playoff series in the last decade, and that's when they defeated the Portland Trailblazers back in 2018, but were swept by the Warriors in the semifinals. But I do believe in one or two years, the Pelicans will reach the playoffs in a loaded Western Conference. And maybe in about five years, New Orleans can be a top team in the West. Now, let's get some news and updates in the National Football League. Some big news. In Baltimore, the Ravens have traded for Yannick Ngakwe from the Vikings. Baltimore has traded their 2021 third-round pick and a conditional fifth-round pick in 2022. Big trade for Baltimore. Even though the Ravens are ranked first in the league, they acquired one of the best pass rushers in the league and helped make their defense even more dominant. This seems like the Ravens are looking to shore up their defense when they play against Kansas City again, and I do believe the Chiefs and Ravens will square off in the AFC Championship next year. They always say that rich get richer, and that's exactly what Baltimore did. The Ravens are pairing up Clayus Campbell with Nagake once again. As Ravens fans, or as Ravens fan on YouTube and Graven Vid said, it's Saxonville all over again. 
There's also reports that the Ravens might be not might not not might be done making trades before the deadline. Amazing. Also, they signed Des Bryant to their practice squad, but there is a chance Bryant could be called up to the start to this 53-man roster. Uh, some other news: the Raiders Bucks game moved from Sunday night to Sunday at 4:15 p.m. Eastern or 4:05 p.m. Eastern. Some bad news for Bucks and Raiders fans. The Las Vegas Raiders versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers was originally scheduled for this Sunday night on NBC. However, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, the entire Raiders offensive line was placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. The league decided to change the game from Sunday night to Sunday afternoon. The reasoning behind it was so that fans could watch a Sunday night game. The Arizona Cardinals versus the Seattle Seahawks will be this Sunday's game instead of Tampa Bay versus Vegas. Offensive tackle Trent Brown tested positive for coronavirus and all the other offensive linemen were around him, so they had to shut down, or they sent all their offensive line home, and there is a chance they could still play this Sunday. If I was Tampa Bay or Vegas fan, I'd be very disturbed. It seems like the game for the Raiders versus Buccaneers will be played, but having the entire offensive line, as I previously mentioned, not practicing for a few days worries me tremendously, especially if it was a Raider fan, especially if I was a Raider fan. Both teams are coming off big wins in the last two weeks. By the way, Vegas just had a bye week, which if the game has to be postponed, it could be a scheduling nightmare for the league. Let's hope this game doesn't happen and it's played as scheduled. Also, there could be a chance that it's played on a Monday or another Tuesday game. Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas could miss his fifth consecutive week with a hamstring injury. Thomas is doubtful for this week's game against the division rival Panthers. This is huge for one of the best league, the best receivers in the league. This is very strange in my opinion as well. I understand Thomas missed three weeks with an ankle injury. Then he was good, but was suspended for a week after hitting his own teammate in practice. Now he does have a brand new injury in the hamstring. It just really doesn't make any sense, especially after he had a whole week to rest his body because the team had a bye week. There could be something up with both Thomas and the Saints. I understand this is just a rumor, but is the Saints organization and Thomas having a feud at the current moment? The Saints offense clearly hasn't looked the same without their best player. However, this could be all smokescreen, and Mike Thomas could be just going through a plethora of injuries this season. We will find out more in the coming days. Now, there was a big game on Thursday night football as the NFC or two NFC East teams squared off as the Philadelphia Eagles took on the New York Giants. Two teams struggling in a terrible division squared off on Thursday night football on Fox. The Super Bowl 52 champs have started the season at 1-4-1, and, and the New York Giants are a measly 1-5. The Eagles got the ball first and had a great drive and finished with a run by Carson Wentz into the end zone. The Giants offense ran a whopping five plays in the first quarter. However, one of those was a touchdown pass to Golden Tate from Danny Dimes. We flipped to the second quarter and it was pretty much the same as the first quarter, but Philly only ended up with three points. Jones struggled in the second quarter and threw an INT that led to another interception by Carson Wentz. On the final drive of the second quarter, Philly had a nice drive going, but it stalled and led the Eagles to missing a chip shot 29-yard field goal by Jake Elliott. In the second half, Daniel Jones had an 80-yard rush that could have scored but was tackled by the turf monster. This would eventually lead to a one-yard run by Wayne Gallman, his first touchdown of the season. The Giants would score again and make it a 21-10 lead thanks to a two-yard pass from Jones to Shepard. But here comes Philly. The next series would be a four-play drive that ended with a touchdown pass from Carson Wentz to the former Houston quarterback Greg Ward but they would miss the two-point conversion, and the game would remain 21-16. Unfortunately for Giants fans, they would punt on their next possession and give the Eagles one more chance to take the lead in the game. The Eagles would just do that. Thanks to three flags on the Giants' defense, some nice passing by Carson Wentz, and, the la- and one of the last plays ended up being a 
touchdown reception by Boston Scott. The Eagles would miss the two-point conversion, but it didn't matter. Philly led New York 22-21. The next possession, the Giants would fumble thanks to a strip sack by Brandon Graham. Final score, Eagles 22, Giants 21. And last but not least, World Series game number two. On Wednesday night, the L.A. Dodgers were hoping to go up 2-0 against the Tampa Bay Rays. L.A. dominated Tampa for an 8-3 win in game one. Clayton Kershaw was huge for the Dodgers in game one and only allowed two hits on one run on Tuesday night. However, it was Blake Snell of the Rays who controlled the game the first four innings. The 2018 AL Cy Young Award winner was the first pitcher in the World Series to have eight strikeouts and no runs for the first four innings since Sandy Koufax of the Dodgers did it way back in 1963. Unfortunately for Snell, he struggled in the fifth and was pulled for Nick Anderson, the reliever for Tampa. The Rays led 5-0 in the bottom of the fifth inning, thanks to in large part to Brandon Lau having two homers in the opposite direction and Joey Wendell having a double that scored two runs. But here come the Dodgers. Second base Chris Taylor, Chris Taylor, excuse me, had a two-run shot in the fifth to make it a 5-2 ball game. Anderson did enough to last an inning and a half. Once again, Tampa score thanks for a sacrifice fly by Joey Wendell to make this score 6-2. Will Smith and Corey Seager both had solo shots in the sixth and eighth, but it wasn't good enough as Tampa took game two 6-4. The series is now tied, and both teams will have a day off on Thursday. Game three will be played at Global Life Park in Arlington, Texas. Even though there's no home games, the Rays will be the home team and will bat in the bottom of the innings. Well, that's a wrap for this amazing episode. You can check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. We release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Don't forget to hit that like button, comment, subscribe, and rate.